Podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, your college football marriage of numbers and words. This is Bill Connolly. I'm uh, not with Godfrey today. Godfrey is on paternity leave for the next couple of weeks, and so I got the opportunity to bring in guest hosts and talk about what I want to talk talk about instead of letting Godfrey always dominate the damn conversation. So, uh, with that in mind, uh, I, I my my guest host today is uh, he runs one of my favorite sites. Uh, one of my favorite social media entities, I should say. Um, very big on Facebook, very fun during the season, football season, especially on Twitter. Uh, his name is Stephen Gaither. He runs HBCUGameDay.com. Uh, thanks for coming on, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, uh, so, okay, so you, when did you start this site? I, I was what, four years ago, something in that neighborhood? Uh, yeah, com- uh, coming up on five, actually. So heading into the okay. sixth football season. But yeah, nice. mm-hmm. 2012. No, it's, I don't remember when I, um, dis- it seems like it was probably about two or three years ago where I, I kind of caught on that this was a uh, really well done site. And I mean, you work, you might be the hardest working person uh, in the college, uh, in the college sports internet realm. Uh, it seems like you guys, you, you're somewhere different every weekend, but it's, um, it's a lot of fun to, to follow your site. And I, I wanted to start with a, a relatively fun topic and that is, Mm-hmm. Favorite games. Okay, so you've been doing this about five years. What are the favorite games that you've covered uh, in these five years since you got started? Right. Well, um, I have to say, you know, uh, just just off the top, I know uh, initially it did start with just me, but now you know I've got a great team that's working around me. So I have to shout out those guys, Tyler <laughs> and, and Wiley, and all those guys because yeah. But it's 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 uh, I've seen a lot of games over the last five years. Uh, I'm from North Carolina, so. Um, the big game here in North Carolina that we have uh, now is uh, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. Um, you know, of course, two HBCUs, uh, public schools, so they're in-state, and uh, they draw out of pretty much the same areas, recruiting-wise. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're the two biggest historically black colleges and the two uh, that are in the FCS. Um, so their rivalry uh, has always gone on, uh, spanned, you know, decades and conferences and, and, and things like that and had fights and all of that good stuff. So everything, <laughs> every good thing that everything that, you know, every good, you know, probably somebody beat up somebody because they were dating the same girl or something. So everything that a good rivalry has um, and, you know, you know, you could you could make the comparison to uh, Carolina Duke uh, It's just in the as fact as proximity, you know, but um, so there's that rivalry game. Uh, there's uh, the Bayou Classic, which I got to go to last year for the first time, which was just absolutely amazing. I know you went a couple years ago, so you can definitely speak to that. Yeah. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, and then there's just a lot of pageantry and, and rivalries. Uh, so, you know, they're, uh, you know, each year it varies, but, you know, definitely the North Carolina A&T Central games and the Bayou Classic are big and I've never had a chance to go to some of the bigger ones hopefully I'm getting a chance to go to some of the some of the other ones the Alabama A&M's and Alabama State's and FAMU's and Bethune-Cookman's and um, but there's just a lot of really great rivalries uh, I think what really makes HBCUs um, you know great is the rivalry factor is so high there just because a lot of the times they're, you know, picking from this, you know, they're a lot of the same pools. They're going to, you know, a lot of the kids come from the same schools. You know, I went to Winston-Salem, but I know people who went to North Carolina A&T, and I know people that went to North Carolina Central. And so when you have that uh, baked into it, it just makes the games a lot more fun. Yeah, I, um, I think it was last week on PAPN, 
we were, uh, Godfrey and I were meandering uh, down one of our favorite roads, which is, you know, group of five, kind of the mid-major level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of had an existential moment where he was talking about, um, you know, we, we were trying to create like a, a, a realistic path for an uh, for a group of five team to reach the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we pretty much decided there almost was no realistic path. Right. Uh, and he kind of had an existential question of, well, why do we, why do we talk about these smaller schools so much if... If, if they're not really part of the quote-unquote college football universe that everybody has created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of I, I stepped up on the soapbox and basically said, uh, you know, with patriotic music in the background, something <laughs> to the effect of, you know, football is such a an enormous undertaking for every single team in the country. Right. Uh, where you've got hundreds of people who are connected to making sure a team – you know, has uh, it can practice can go, can get to games right. have, you know if the band's going and the fans all these things are are, are interlocked um, and and it it is it kind of a beautiful mess of a thing and and I don't really care about the I mean I do care about the national title but just generally like there's I have a lot of respect for how huge an undertaking this is for everybody but all the things that we we say we like about this sport about this undertaking uh, you know the rivalry aspect the fun on Saturday aspect, the, the music, everything like that. I, I did get to go to, um, I, I got to do 2014 Bayou Classic and then A&T Central last year. And both of those experiences were the quintessential rivalry, uh, fun, music, food, etc. cetera. It, it was everything we say we like about college football. It was just, it was, it was a, just an awesome experience. And, um, and, and I, I recommend, especially, yeah, I'm hoping to, to be able to do more rivalry pieces moving forward, but I picked a good couple of, uh, uh, ones to go to that 2014 Bayou game yeah. came down to a goal line stand at the last minute. And, um, it was just so much fun and, and it, it, it's, it's such a, a welcoming environment. And, and it, so it was a nice, I think I called it after I got back from North Carolina last year, a renewing experience. It was a, just a pure college football experience that I loved uh, being able to do. So one of the, the things I've, I've really enjoyed about uh, your work on game day is, I mean, yes, there is a website, but uh, you, you kind of cover the gamut of, of social media and every single one of them is done slightly different. And I really, you are, you have mastered Facebook, it appears. Um, what, what has gone into, I mean, you got a massive Facebook presence and what, what has gone into, it seems like you've kind of created a lot of, I don't want, I don't know if it's Facebook specific video, but a lot of video on there, a lot of different uh, things on there. What has gone into r- really just your approach to social media, your approach to Facebook in general that has made the site really, uh, really successful in that regard. Right, right. Well, Twitter was pretty uh, quick. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm 31. I graduated uh, 2009 so I, uh, you know, I was, you know, on kind of the cutting edge of that as far as being uh, on Twitter. So that one grew pretty quick. I think, you know, we got to 7,000 followers probably uh, by, the, you know, by about, you know, probably about three years in. F- Facebook was a lot slower. Uh, a lot of, you know, the credit to that, a lot of that goes to uh, Tali Carr, uh, my partner who works with me. Um, he's uh, great on the video end. Uh, he, I mean, he, he knows to do everything really well, but he, he's an expert on the video end. Uh, and so he really, you know, I was just kind of shooting videos on my iPhone and, and kind of still learning how to edit. And he kind of came in and, and definitely um, raised the standard up on our video. And then we just noticed, uh, you know, initially we were kind of going along the path of, uh, like everyone else, just, you know, having a YouTube channel and, 
uh, you know, trying to put the links on Facebook and get and we noticed that people really weren't clicking them in great numbers. But, you know, I don't even know how we did this, but we just noticed that, you know, the video would go if it was in into Facebook and into Facebook, it would go further. Um, you know, and so it would get, you know, it would be pushed more and get shared more. So we just, you know, uh, you know, we just decided, I think one, I think one year, I think I, you know, I think there was a, a band thing and it just went really, you know, went really viral. So we were just like, you know what, if, I mean, you know, it, why don't we just put more of this video on Facebook if it's going to go there and it's going to build. So, um, you know, I think, uh, in 2014, 20, in the 2014, uh, I think I was, you know, when I had, I hadn't really been emphasizing it. So, I mean, we have like a thousand followers and I mean, now we've got, you know, 20,000 likes, um, which has been an adventure. Um, it's just really been entertaining to see that uh, growth and what, and what actually pushes people to uh, the videos. Um, the biggest video that we've had to date um, is a video uh, from that didn't even happen at a game. It happened at a battle of the bands. Uh, there was uh, so it was a uh, and, and it wasn't even the bands playing. It was an intermission of the battle of the bands, <laughs> and and they play Lil Boosie "Wipe Me Down," which is you know um, we like to make that joke. It's it's kind of like a, a, a new millennium Negro spiritual, um, you know. Uh, so it was just having fun with it, and so and this lady just starts dancing. And, and, you know, whenever you're, like, in a crowd and somebody's doing something crazy, you know, the crowd just starts reacting to it. So so everybody's reacting to it. The the mom is dancing. And so the guy who's a local TV, uh, a local radio uh, guy, No Limit Larry, he just starts, he starts talking over the song, but he's talking to the beat. So he's like, so, you know, if you know the song, is like, I'm on, wipe me down. And he's like, that's somebody mama, somebody mama, hey. So he's going on beat. He's like, look at. He's like, he's basically. He's like, somebody's mama is dancing. Look at that. That's somebody's mama. And so <laughs> he's dancing. I mean, he's making that. He's going to the music. The mom is dancing. And then I didn't even notice this. People and this is the funny. Like people notice things. And I just happened to capture it on my video on my camera. But there was also a dad holding a, a baby, and he was dancing too with the baby in his arms. So they were just you know having a good time you know, Battle of the Bands, and, and it was crazy. That game, that Battle of the Bands was out in the, this is the, you know, just the, to talk about the uniqueness of the HBCU experience and the HBCU sports spirit experience and that it is more than sports, is that was a band, that was a band, that was a band, a Battle of the Bands, and it rained. And I know, and I'm going to be honest with you, it, you know, sometimes the crowd can be, you know, iffy if it's not a big rivalry game or something like that. I know if the, if it, if the crowd would have been at a football game and it wasn't a big football game, they might have left. But mm. because they wanted to see the <laughs> bands and they just had an awesome lineup there with Southern, North Carolina A&T, Bethune-Cookman. I had a shout out my alma mater, Winston Salem State University. We're not as big as the rest of the guys, you know, not as good, but you know what, we 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 were there. So, but you know, because of that lineup that was there, and people were just so amped to see it that they waited underneath in the rain. To, they waited out the rain, and we were in a stadium in Charlotte. I'm not going to say the name of it, but it's the stadium where it's older. Uh, it leaks underneath it, and people were getting wet, and 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 just people brought out trash bags to stay dry, to stay clean, to stay fresh, because they just wanted to see the band. So that's out of all the things that we've done, all the serious things that we've done. That's 
probably the biggest moment. That's probably one of the biggest game day moments that we've had to date. So somebody mama has that. That thing was on just circulated on my timeline for weeks. It just kept popping up from somebody every, else finding it <clears throat> and passing it along. Every it was time a, I looked at my phone, it was a every time I looked thing. at my phone for probably about a month, that every time I looked at my phone, <laughs> if I looked at my phone ten times, four or five of them was somebody. Uh, first, first it was on Twitter because I just recorded it and uploaded it to Twitter, and I was like, you know what, this is so great, I have to put it on Facebook. And then we were able to put it on Facebook and the same thing there where it's, it's just taking on another life and people will like watch it. And then what they'll do is they'll, they won't, a lot of times they won't, they'll, they'll share it maybe, or they'll just tag somebody else and then they tag somebody else and then they tag somebody else. And that's how it takes on a life of its own that, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think it popped up the other day, you know, and it's, it's almost a year old. So, you know, just capture being there to capture the moments is, uh, is, is, is what I enjoy the most. Yeah, the night before, um, the night before ANT Central, uh, Central played uh, mm-hmm. Jackson State mm-hmm. in basketball, and so you know I, I was there, had a friend there with me, and so we're like, hell, let's go to the basketball game, let's check it out. It was the most fun basketball game I've ever been to, or been to in a couple of years at least, and that's, I mean, partially because I I, I am a Missouri mm-hmm. fan, and, and Missouri basketball has been hilariously awful, as uh, evidenced by the fact that Central came and whooped yeah. Missouri like two weeks after I got back, but. Um, it, it was, I mean, you know, just, you know, DJs during the uh, breaks and the, and the students were dancing and they were talking smack to one specific Jackson State player um, who was just, I mean, he was, that, that he was able to pay attention to the game while talking right. so much to the, to the fans was a, a very impressive thing. But no, it was just fun. It, it's an emphasis on fun. And I can't mm-hmm. say that enough. Um, it's, a lot of, you know, it's it's what other uh, everybody it's what college football is supposed to aspire to. A so lot of times, lot of the fan, I mean, the fans really this year a lot of times have been the stars. I mean, there have been you know times where people who weren't competing, you know, <laughs> have been the stars. We had, uh, I mean, I was I was at uh, my alma mater, Winston State. We were at a basketball game, and uh, the CE Gaines Center, named after a Hall of Famer Clarence Big House Gaines, is uh, one of those places where uh, it sits about it sits about uh, twenty five hundred. So. Um, really intimate, and I mean, we have five thousand plus students. So if, if, if so, if everybody decides to come to the game, you can imagine how tight it is, and you know, and, and, and at some point they have to shut it down. So I mean, there were just times where there's this one guy uh, who who's a, the biggest super fan. He's right here on the court, and I mean, he's probably ten feet away. I mean, you know, when you're playing like when you're like that, you're you know, you're you're five, he's five feet away from the guy, and he's just talking smack to him the entire game, and so. Uh, Shaw, the other team, which is uh, one of the rivals from Raleigh, they ended up winning the game at the last minute. And so these two went back and forth all day at the end of the game. So at the end of the game, the guy from Shaw, he grabs the ball, he takes it and runs to the guy that had been heckling him the whole game. And he just puts it and he just places it in front and places it right in front of him and runs to the locker room. And uh, that's just one of those that's one of those moments, you know, those are the types of things that, you know, you can do because they're small and they're intimate. Uh, you know, we got guys, you know, who will basically just go down the roster and will get a roster, stand beside everyone and just start yelling out, number 32, you're trash. You know, you're not, you know, it's just, so it's, it's that intimate, that, that intimate setting really uh, helps out a lot. Paris Collins is the dude from Jackson State. Um, I just looked him up because I couldn't quite remember. Like, uh, he, he basically has a game structured around smack talk. All he does is block shots and steal the ball and try to get to the free throw line. Uh, he, can't sh- he couldn't shoot at all, 
Uh, but that's all he did, and, and it was just, uh, it was, I don't know, it was fun. Anyway, um, so uh, along with what we've been talking about so far, the, the, the Black College National Championship game, so to speak, uh, they're the first weekend of bowls. It's called the Celebration Bowl. And first of all, that's, that's about the most apt name possible. But I disagree I, with that name, but I, um, I, but I could go on about that. But we, we, <laughs> well, um, you know, just in, in, in embracing the spirit of right. what we've been talking about here. But so I, I think my when, when they announced this a couple of years ago, I had reservations about it because I so and this is something that when we talk about power uh, power conferences versus group of five, it applies there too. Like I, I like knowing there's a path. Like if you do 38 mm-hmm. things right, uh, then you have a chance at a title of some sort, at the national title right. of whatever division or subdivision right. you're in. And that's just that's the way I envision things. So I had a problem with this where you're basically volunteering to remove your conference champion from the national title, from national title consideration for this spot. But now, and and so maybe long-term I might still have a problem with it. I don't know. But in the short term, the, uh, the exposure that the game has gotten and, um, you know, especially the first one, this Grambling central wasn't quite as good at Mm -hmm. least until late, but, um, but A&T Alcorn was an incredible football game. And um, it seems like the effect of the Celebration Bowl has, has turned me around a little bit. Uh, you know, I, again, I don't know what, what long term I have envisioned here, but in the short term, the exposure, the money, the sponsorship, the, the, the quote-unquote celebration aspect of it, I seem to have come around. Where, where are you standing right now with the Celebration uh, personally, Bowl? Personally, so when, when it was first announced and when I first heard of it, um, you know, I, was, I, was, uh, like, I, I wasn't sure. Um, because I understand, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like all college sports, it's about money. And so, uh, you know, these schools are competing, uh, these HBCUs and the MEAC and SWAC, they are competing at the division one level. Um, their budgets are the bottom of the barrel, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, with some exceptions, you know, but as conferences, they're at the bottom of the barrel, uh, as far as how much they earn. Uh, so they have to play all these, you know, they have to play these, play these money games, which other schools do too, but they're just, you know, it's such a struggle for them to the schools that have decided to compete as division one, uh, to compete. And I mean, you know, you have to think about it. They haven't won, you know, they hadn't the MEAC, okay. There hasn't been an HBCU from the MEAC to win a playoff game, FCS playoff game since 1999. Now, Tennessee's. Tennessee State yeah. won, finally won, and for a while there was no HBCU at all. Uh, Tennessee State finally won it, won it, I think, 2012, 2013. But that was, um, I think, uh, mm. against a Pioneer League team that doesn't, you know, you know, doesn't do scholarships. So, um, so that's <laughs> the only HBCU win of this decade. The SWAC, you know, they had never won one, you know. So for, you know, for yeah. all the, the great players and great, you know, great teams and, and players, they had never won a playoff game until in 99. They just said, hey, forget it. We'll just play a championship game and make the money off of it. You know, for the MEAC, uh, they tried to go and, and compete. Um, but every year, I mean, they were sending their best teams. And, you know, some years it'd be close and some years it wouldn't be close at all. And, um, you know, and you really don't have anything to show for it. So, um, so coming into the Celebration Bowl, uh, I still felt like, you know, man, you know, but if you're in, why are you going to be in this division if you don't even think you're even, because you're saying we're not even going to compete. 
So, uh, so I right. got there, and of course, uh, North Carolina A&T and Auckland State were in the first one. Uh, and of course, the Tariq Cohen, of course, was there. Uh, that was Tariq Cohen's show. Of course, I've seen him, <laughs> you know, plenty of times before then. But I mean, um, just to see him uh, grow on that stage, and I and I tweeted that day, and I and I really thought that's when the nation really got to see him as Tariq Cohen, the football player. You know, they might have known the guy who done the flips. But I mean, you know, but, you know, at this point he was, you know, three years into his career and he, uh, you know, he's, I mean, you know, he's much more than flips. I mean, you know, he's, you know, he of course ended up uh, winning, uh, you know, becoming one of the great, I mean, he's probably the, he, he, there's no probably about it. He's the most exciting HBCU player uh, offensively since Steve McNair. Um, and, you know, he, I mean, he, he, you talk about social media. I mean, that kid used social media and I mean it just blew up and really turned himself to a guy place where you know not a lot of guys you know I mean unless you were you know uh, a MEAC or an HBCU guy or a hardcore FCS guy you may or may not have known his name but after he did those flips you at least said okay there's a running back from North Carolina A&T who does flips and maybe you knew his name or you maybe you did but after that celebration bowl game and he ran for almost 300 yards I mean, and it looked like he was just like playing a video game. You know what I mean? Uh, I think the nation got a chance to see him as a football player, and uh, it was it was great to see them on that scale. And then again, you know, when I went back again for Grambling in North Carolina Central, another team that I've you know been able to cover quite a bit, and see them go, those guys go there, and you know, the game wasn't as pretty as we thought. We thought we might see a shootout, and we definitely didn't get that. Um, yeah. So, but it ended up being an, an exciting game, and I just happened to get down there right when uh, my man. Caught the touchdown pass and threw his helmet down. Like I had just gotten down there, I was like, "Oh crap!" Well, you know, let's see how this is gonna go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we've had two uh, exciting games. I think it's been, I think it's been a good stage for them. You know, Four Letter Network uh, is, uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, uh, involved. You know, making sure that they're promoting their game. You know, so uh, yeah, the. Uh... The Cohen thing was great. It was it was perfect because you know he had made waves. Everybody knew the guy who flips and all that, and that's fine. Uh, but then he gets a chance on national television, and you're like, all right, well, let's see what this guy can do. Oh, damn! You know, it was uh, like what one of his first carries of the game was a long touchdown. So um, that was set up perfectly. Yeah, like, <laughs> the central thing last year. That was I, I enjoyed everybody on social media all at once going, oh come on, it's the celebration bowl. You got to let him celebrate. Don't don't penalize him for celebrating. But yeah, it was obviously an automatic penalty. Um, so uh, John Grant, he he works for ESPN. He's he's the I think what, the CEO or executive director, whatever the title is, of the Celebration Bowl. And and I know, you know, first of all, he's one of the just the most uh, energetic, fun people to talk to that I've ever talked to. Uh, he's he 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 he's done a good job of of selling the bowl and 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 kind of you know, being the extremely confident uh, face of the bowl. I, I know he's very excited about where the first two years have gone and, and where things are headed for uh, both the bowl and those two conferences. And I know one of the things he talked about when I, when I asked him a couple, uh, a few months ago before the game, I guess he, 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 he was talking about the, the MEAC, uh, we were talking about mm-hmm. the championship game, basically. What would there be, uh, does he hope there's momentum to have the same kind of deal where you end up with divisions and 12 teams or whatever and having a mm-hmm. MEAC championship? And I mean, of course he was like, oh, heck yes, let's do that. And let's, let's bring a couple, see if we can get a couple division school, two schools up to, to, to have a MEAC, a bigger MEAC. 
But at the same time, Savannah State just right. left the MEAC or right. is leaving the MEAC. Um, so it, it, is, it does seem to be kind of this uh, flux period where there is a chance for some sort of, of, of upward momentum, so to speak, where you've got this big showcase game. And I know like ESPN has the, mm-hmm. the Thursday night ESPNU games and whatnot. They're, they're, the exposure is there, and, and maybe it's a little better than it was five, ten years ago. But I guess how much of Savannah State's problems – were just that they botched it, uh, botched the jump, did it at the wrong time, uh, did it too quickly. It sounds like they did it really, mm-hmm. really quickly. Uh, and, and just how much of it is that that jumps really hard? So, you know, kind of a two-parter there. But are there other programs coming up from D2 that would have been able to do a much, much better job and still could? Uh, uh, that's that's an interesting question uh, because my alma mater, Winston-Salem State, was actually – uh, I think the first school to try to do the Division One, and then go end up going to back to Division Two. So, and that happened when I was right. there. Um, so actually, uh, Winston State is in the CIAA, uh, the the oldest historically black college conference. Um, but you know they did uh, decide that they were going to move up to uh, Division One uh, when I got shortly after I arrived there in 2004. And so for the last three years and I, cause I was a red shirt senior when I graduated. So, uh, the last three years we were uh, in the MEAC and, uh, you know, my last year there were rumblings. Well, you know, it's, they, they try to get, uh, cause I mean, it's, it's so expensive for these schools. I mean, it's expensive period, but it's so expensive. And really most of them, uh, a lot of them, especially on the East coast, I think some of the schools down in Louisiana, uh, Grambling and Southern, I don't think they have student athletic fees, but they've really kind of, had to uh, because they don't have the boosters uh, and they don't have the the support uh, specifically for athletics uh, as much as a lot of other schools do. They uh, rely heavily on student athletic fees, and so you know it's uh, it, it you know we try to get a fee increase and they didn't increase the fees, and so we had a leadership change. Uh, the chancellor that we had is now at North Carolina A&T, so, and he was actually an A&T Aggie, so, and, and those two schools are 30 minutes away. They're both state schools, right. uh, and so they, you know, that rivalry aspect, they hadn't played each other in a while, so, uh, you know, going up to the MEAC was one of those great things for it. That was one of the good things for it. Um, and so the MEAC is, uh, it's tough because they have really had to, you know, they were born out of the CIAA, and they... Uh, brought out, you know, they, they had a, a certain number of teams, and over the last 20 years, they've added Norfolk State, they've added Hampton, they added North Carolina Central. Those schools came up from CIAA, and I think Hampton, you know, I think those schools have been okay because they've had certain things. Like, Hampton uh, is probably one of the better off HBCUs, so uh, they have, you know, a really nice basketball uh, arena c- compared to most other HBCUs on the East Coast. They have you know, uh, really good deep pockets. Norfolk State had a really big, um, you know, Norfolk State, when they made their jump, they had a really big student population. They may have been the largest HBCU at the time. Uh, now their population has gone down and athletic fees. Um, the state of Virginia put a cap on athletic fees as far as how much of a percentage wise that they can be of, a, you know, from from your tuition. So, you know, now they're another school that's going to have, they had to lose three, they lost $3 million in athletic revenue that they have to replace from student athletic fees. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really, it's a challenge. I mean, there were three schools at that time that, you know, Savannah State had already moved up, but they were independent. 
uh, Winston-Salem State was trying to move to Division One and ultimately wasn't able to succeed, but then there's North Carolina Central who was. And, uh, yeah, so uh, now they have a – now they are uh, – they're not as big as A&T, but they are bigger than Winston-Salem State, and they have a law school. Um, so, you know, they, they, and, you know, yeah. in the CIAA, they were, they were okay. They, they were competitive. They weren't world beaters. They weren't, you know, they weren't world beaters until the last couple of years when they decided they were going to gear up and actually put the money into athletics. Uh, and then they went through their struggles, uh, early on in their division one run, but since hiring Jerry Mack on, uh, and, you know, uh, they were just, uh, since hiring him and, and you have to give coach, uh, credit to coach Henry Frazier, who brought in a lot of the talent. Uh, as well there too they've just they, they've really made some great personnel moves uh, just in their athletic program period so you see three schools and there were three and there were three of them trying to go division one one was never successful one tried but is is going to end up going back to division two and then there's the one out of the three that is pretty is doing pretty successful so uh, it's tough to see any of the other HBCUs that aren't in division one now moving up there's been some talk about maybe Virginia State um but it's just a, it's a tough thing because I mean you know even South Carolina State you know they've been uh division one since the MEAC went to division one in the 80s and you know their yeah. school had so much financial problems you know just for the school that you know there's always now that talk of are they going to have to go down go down too so um it's mm-hmm. that division one division two divide is a uh, it's tough because, I mean, you know, you look in North Carolina, we have five state HBCUs and, you know, all of those, all of those guys know, all those kids know each other. You know, I know people that went to all of the schools. I know people, you know, and that builds rivalry and that builds, you know, excitement about the games because these aren't, you know, we're not getting top flight athletes. So, you know, stuff like that, um, proximity, proximity uh, builds rivalries, and especially when you're not on a big time TV platform. Uh, so, you know, there's, you know, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina and Winston-Salem State don't play each other. Uh, they're 30 minutes away. They have two, I mean, their student populations are, you know, are, they're intertwined. Uh, they have a history athletically, but because Division One, Division Two, and some other things, they don't play each other. And North Carolina, you know, they could fill up, either one of them could fill up the other stadium at any time they play anything. But because of the division, the division divide, you know, North Carolina A&T has to play a school like Savannah State where, you know, I mean, I don't know how many people from Greensboro know people from Savannah State <laughs> other than meeting them. So, you know, you have you kind of when you do that division one, division two divide, it kind of cuts out some of the rivalry games and some of the and some of the proximity that really makes that really makes it pop. But it's 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 a decision whether to be competitive or for exposure. That's yeah, and I mean, I guess this is where March Madness has a big role, too, because um, I can't remember who I was talking to a couple years ago about it, about the, you know, because there's this this ongoing kind of, uh, especially at the national level, you know, should should this be a Division One thing? Should it be a Division, should, should all of this be in Division Two, et cetera, when you're not really, mm-hmm. on the football side, connected to a national title, does it really matter? But it absolutely right. matters in basketball, uh, where... I keep bringing up Missouri. Hey, uh, Norfolk State. I, I'm very familiar with Norfolk State basketball, um, right? And and the impact that I, that March Madness can have that those those big wins and the money and the exposure that are associated with that. I, I mean, that's I, that that seems to be the thing that that is going to absolutely continue to connect um, the MEAC and SWAC with Division One. And I mean, it's hard to 
if, if you're making the money work, even if it's not amazing, if you're making the money work, then it's hard to argue against it when you have that big, that sing, that humongous opportunity to make waves every couple of years. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think when, so when the, the, the HBCUs went Division One, uh, the MEAC and SWAC transitioned from Division Two to Division One back in the late 70s, mm-hmm. early 80s, you know, uh, FAMU had just won the FCS title. And so they were thinking about, uh, you know, so they were thinking they would be okay and competitive in football. And, you know, there were some basketball teams that were, you know, had, they had pretty good small college basketball teams. But, you know, with uh, the growth of the NCAA tournament has been a blessing and a curse because with the growth of that makes the money. And, you know, that and that is what helps these schools stay in Division One. But also with the growth of, you know, the 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 tournament, you know, everybody wants to play for Kentucky. You know, any of those five guys, any of those five, any of the eight guys on Kentucky squad could go to another team. They could go to North Carolina Central or they could go to. Uh, or they could go to uh, one of any of the other MEAC or SWAC schools, and they could be the man. And they could score, you know, they could be like James Daniel from Howard and score 27, 28 points a game. But it's a one-bid league, so you may not get into the tournament. And uh, the tournament has turned into the end-all, be-all, and everyone, it's been marketed so brilliantly that it's really hurt small college basketball uh, on all levels. I mean, you know, there were times, you know, where, um, you know, there, you know, there's some great players that HBCUs got some division one and some even division two HBCUs in the CIAA got that, you know, now they would never be able to get because, uh, and I talked about this with, uh, coach Lavelle Moten, uh, from North Carolina central, who's been very successful there. Um, he was a guy that, um, you know, he was a guy that, uh, went to North Carolina central competed, uh, with them in the CIAA and, uh, now he's had success there. He was like, you know, we didn't really care that much about Division One, Division Two. I just wanted to get out of the projects and, at, and you know, and, and get an education and go to school. And he was talking about also where, you know, he wasn't trying to get held back for a better, uh, for a better ranking in his class or anything like that. So the, I think the, the dynamic and what people want has changed. And because of that, uh, you know, you see that everybody wants to go as big as they can, even if they're riding the bench. Even if they're riding the bench at Kentucky, they'll think they'll rather ride the bench at Kentucky than maybe say go to, uh, you know, Morgan State and and be the guy and you know be looked at as a small college guy. So it's it's tough. Yeah, and and I guess I'll I'll flip to a, a topic that further down the list here. In that regard, it seems like uh, I, I know uh, NCA and T just lost its best player to grad transfer, and mm-hmm. this is a topic that I, you know my opinions are subject to change from year to year because when the, when the grad transfer thing happened uh, and, and mm-hmm. I, I continue to defend it because I think it's something that, that actually it's one of the only things in the, in the books that directly helps the student athlete in that he can, well, in that, you know, if he graduates, he can move without having to sit out. It's a thing. It is a thing that helps the athlete uh, as much or more than uh, the coach of the school he's at. And that's very, very rare. But the effect it's had in so many cases has been that if you're at a mid-major school and you are a star as a junior, you can then move up and and uh, upgrade some power conference roster uh, right. with your presence and leave the, your other school behind. And, and the other school doesn't get a full four. The school that found you uh, right. and has nurtured you for three years doesn't get your senior year. You go, you go somewhere else for that. So it has, like everything else, benefited the power conference schools, even though 
in its original intent, maybe that wasn't the original intent, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the same thing. <laughs> everybody wants to, everybody wants to play for coach Cal and everybody wants to, you know, and, and that's no disrespect to them, but that's just kind of what they marketed, what they see on TV, what they grow up. And that's where the exposure comes in. And they're just, okay, this is it. This is college basketball. Even if I'm only going to go for one year and I'm not worried about graduating or whatever, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go there. But, you know, when you talk about the grad transfer thing, you know, I've written about this a couple of times and, you know, some people don't like it when I write this, but it's been, definitely been something in the MEAC uh, over the last couple of years uh, where, you know, they'll get guys and they'll, like you said, they'll nurture them. Uh, James Daniel was uh, a guy out of Hampton, Virginia, a guard. I mean, you know, guards come a dime a dozen, but he went to Howard and, you know, his uh, his junior year, he ended up leading the NCAA in scoring. Well, last year, uh, he got hurt early in the year, only played in two games. And so, uh, you know, he had another year of eligibility left. And, you know, not only does Howard lose him, they also lose the guy, JT Miller, who was one of their guys who stepped up while he was out because he also graduated in three years. And now he can go uh, and he's going to try to find another situation. So it really makes it tough for, uh, you know, you talk about the upsets, um, you know, you talk about the upsets in college basketball, it really makes it tough to keep that because, you know, hey, maybe now, you know, a guy like, you know, when a, every time a small school like a Kylo Quinn has a success and you see, hey, this guy, Kylo Quinn, we really didn't know him for four years. And then he blows up his last year and last couple of games at Norfolk State. Well, now it seems like, OK, well, there's some talent there. So they Nor- Norfolk State has lost players. Right. Uh, Rashid Gaston uh, was on uh, Xavier. Um, uh, he was a he was a role player on Xavier. He may have been a starter, but he would have been the star at Norfolk State. But he went ahead and transferred. And, you know, even further, when you talk about the money uh, for uh, for HBCUs winning in, you know, in those moments, you create those magic moments of Kyle O'Quinn in 2012 or Coppin State beating South Carolina State in uh, 1997. Coppin State is another school where, I mean, they don't play football, but there's been talk that maybe they may end up going the D2 route uh, as well, just because, you know, they had great teams for years with Fang Mitchell. Uh, but the money just the money, the money to compete and to get continually get talent and players and compete and all this stuff. Uh, it never materialized for them. And so 20 years after their big win, there's talk of them going back. There's Norfolk State where they won that a couple years ago and it got them a lot of exposure more than, you know, more than, uh, you know, case in point. They were a powerhouse in Division two basketball for a lot of years. But still, you know, only only if you follow Division two basketball like that, would you know that now everybody knows they beat Missouri. But they still have that three. They still have that three million dollar hole. You know, they still had that that hole right. that they had to fix, and it hurt them when they couldn't get the student athletic fees. So um, that exposure versus competition argument is one that's had all the time in, in HBCU cycles. All the time. so I mean, so you are an alum of the school that uh, is kind of the in terms of moving down to D two and thriving. I mean. Uh, I, I, who was it? Was it Joel Anderson uh, from BuzzFeed who had a really nice piece about Winston-Salem last year? Um, and it, it's kind of the poster child for, hey, it's not that bad if you want to try this or if you want to if you want to move down, it's fine. You'll be fine. You, you'll win games. Everything's great. Um, but it, so if, if, if you're kind of the decision maker in that regard at, a, at one of these schools you're talking about, maybe thinking about moving down, uh, does that where do where do you lean? Are, are you thinking you know stick it out at, at D one no matter what, or is it hey it's not that bad if we want to move down? I'll tell you you know what it differs every day, and that's to be honest with yeah. you. I mean when I when it was first 
2009 was my senior year and I was, I was getting ready to go out and, and we had a big editorial in the paper because that's when people were talking about it, about whether WSSU should, uh, you know, stay Division One uh, or go back to uh, Division Two, the CIAA. And I was a proponent of staying Division One, just being being a lifelong, you know, sports fan. You know, you you yep. think Division One, that's where I want to be. I want my school to be there. Right. Um, you know, step back. You know, now, man. Eight, yesterday makes eight years since I graduated. Um, and I definitely, you know, having seen the success that Winston-Salem State had, you know, they went to the D2 National Championship game in 2012. Uh, I think, you know, I just, you know, they, I think they, they, they won like four, it went like 45 and, and seven over their first four years <laughs> after, after dropping down to division two. Um, you know, I see where, uh, you know, that success, def- you know, when you have that success, it definitely makes you say, Hmm, you know, I mean, people, People love to win, you know. Everybody, nobody likes a nobody likes a loser, um, a team that consistently lose or can't compete. And people were more engaged after people inside the school were more engaged after we went to Division Two, back to Division Two, and started really dominating. Now the thing about that is people also get tired. People also expect you to do it after a while. So yeah. the problem with that and the flip sides of that has been for football attendance. You know, trying to make that keep people's interest where they expect you to win. They expect you to win, you know, and win handily every year. Um, the coach that we have, uh, Keenan's Bullware, he's won the last two conference championships, um, been to the conference championship game all three of his years and won two of them. And, I mean, there are still people, you know, that will call for his neck if they don't win by 30 points just because, <laughs> at, you know, when, when they came back down to Division two. They had some leftover Division One guys uh, from that trans that run, and then they also had um, you know some FCS and a couple even FBS guys. Uh, you know, Phil Sims from Arizona, uh, from uh, originally from Alabama, and went to Virginia. He ended up finishing his career went to Salem mm, yeah. State. You know they just got used to beating teams, uh, you know sixty to zero or you know fifty five to zero. And so when you do that, like everybody's like, oh, well, we're gonna win. Why? Why even go? Sometimes it's you know that. There's no competition, uh, hurt. So, uh, you know, being an alum of a school, the school that did it, and being uh, kind of in the limbo, it, it's tough because I do like winning. I do like to see the school uh, being successful, uh, and they are being successful in a lot of different areas. But I do miss competing against. I, I miss beating up on the bigger, the bigger uh, Division One uh, HBCUs. You know, the Howards, the ones that have you know, more of a name, even though it's not necessarily, even though athletically, maybe not, but, you know, prestige, prestige wise, it's, it's always more with HBCUs, especially it's also, it's always more than sports, um, you know, from the band to the cheerleaders yeah. to everything. It's always more than that. It's, there. It's, a, it's a small community, a proud community and a tight knit community. You know, you meet someone from an HBCU and you're from an HBCU, you, uh, you know, you just kind of, you have a certain bond, you know, you know, ide- ideally you have a certain bond and, certain similar experiences that that you're like okay HBCU even if you're in different different schools different conferences whatever I mean, we talk trash to each other but you know there's still that bond and so you know there's you know definitely there's a you know there's that satisfaction and puffing your chest out when you beat when you beat these schools so it's always <laughs> great to beat the schools that are considered bigger than Winston-Salem State so uh it's it's like I said I go back and forth on it every day um, it's, it's either small fish in a big pond or big fish in a small pond. So, 
that makes me feel better about not being able to come up with a, a, a concrete opinion. So, uh, I mean, it, 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 trust me, it's every, it, every week. I mean, I love, uh, you know, the CIAA, they're in the CIAA, the CIAA tournament. There's nothing like it, the history and the pageantry of it. Uh, and you know, it's just an event all into itself. Um, but then there's also the fact that a lot of the bigger schools that made, you know, a lot of the schools that consistently made the tournament what it was have now moved on to the MEAC and, and it's really relying on a few schools to try to mm-hmm. continue to keep the legacy alive. It's, it's a tough thing for it to do. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always interesting, always debates. I mean, we constantly back and forth bicker and fighting all the time, you know, <laughs> you know, but so it's, uh, it's, so it, it, it makes, it definitely keeps things interesting. So it'll definitely be interesting over the next couple of years to see what people do. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, especially, especially if Savannah state were to jump down and I mean, I, I really like their head coach. I think Eric Rayburn, he has a mm-hmm. nice track record. I think he's, uh, you know, the, he immediately produced at least a little bit for Savannah state last year. And if they mm-hmm. move down and basically do what Winsome Salem did and, and wins, uh, you know, succeed pretty quickly, then mm-hmm. yeah, maybe having a couple of success stories like that makes it a pretty interesting debate, but um, all right, so this next topic, I'm going to I'm going to jump into this topic by referring to a reader question that we got on Twitter earlier. So, uh, at Friendly Fire, um, he said his re- his reader question was simply, "Hey, fix the Rattlers or offer suggestions." I'm a Tallahassee boy who enjoyed the Billy Joe days. Now, the backstory with Billy Joe, I I got to write a piece about this last year. Um, mm-hmm. Talked to F- to FAMU's like 30 year SID for like two hours. I uh, could have written like three pieces off of it, but Mr. Um, Hollins, just, huh? Uh, Mr. Hollins. Good. Yes. Yeah. Great, yeah. Great. Um, he, so uh, Billy Joe, he was at central state in Ohio for a while. He goes to FAMU, uh, wins big, not only wins big within the MEAC, but they go to the, the to the, and I, this is how I let off that piece. They go to FCS semifinals. You were talking about 99, uh, they go to the semifinals that year, and they're leading Jim Trussell and Youngstown State very late. And um, mm-hmm. Youngstown ends up scoring a couple times, pulling off the win. They go – I think they lose to – I believe it was Georgia Southern in the finals. But that was – they were that close. And uh, mm-hmm. they were consistently strong. And they started they, – they got it in their head that they could make the jump to FBS. And I think they, you know, under the right circumstances probably could have, but it seemed like – maybe it was kind of like Savannah state going from D two to D one. It kind of seemed like they were like ready, jump, aim, fire kind of thing. Like they, they jumped a little before they had all their ducks in a row. Um, and then they got there with a bunch of transfers like Willie Simmons, now the head coach of Prairie view. Um, mm-hmm. And, but when they jumped like because of the order, because of the timing or whatever, suddenly a lot of these transfers like Simmons were ineligible to play for another FBS school uh, mm-hmm. because there was like no transition period. It was something really weird. It was something awkward about the timing. So anyway, mm-hmm. they go up to FBS uh, for one year. They basically they lose a lot of the talent they were going to count on. They struggle. Uh, they jump straight back down uh, to mm-hmm. uh, FCS. Billy Joe leaves like the next year, and and FAMU really hasn't ever rallied all the way back yet. Um, so I, I mean, I already I know FAMU is one of the answers here, but I'm going to still lead into one of the questions I wanted to talk about. So like when when Texas is struggling in the Big Twelve, they say it hurts the Big Twelve because you really need all of your potential heavyweights to be heavyweights for, for your conference to thrive at a certain level, Ohio state in the big 10, Alabama and the sec, et cetera. So, I mean, family is probably one of these answers, but who are, who are a couple of the schools that if they were to get their act together and live up to their potential would 
make that top tier? Like, who has the highest ceiling in the SWAC and MIAC? Uh, in the SWAC, man, you know, I want, I think, I want to say as a brand, Southern, but they've mm. had so much. I mean, they've had, I mean, because they have an unbelievable band, the Human Jukebox. I uh, got a chance to see them live twice. Oh, man. Last year and, and just what an experience. Uh, being from North Carolina, you know, we have, you know, an East Coast guy. We have our, we have our standards, but, uh, man, they, they, I definitely respect those guys, what they do there. Uh, they have the history of the basketball program uh, with Ben Job, uh, rest in peace. Um, you know, football, they've, uh, they've definitely, uh, they, uh, in the last 25 or so years, they uh, definitely improved their program uh, with a coach from Winston State, Pete Richardson, by the way. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, he yeah they 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 have the brand, uh, but I think Alabama State um is one. They've got a nice new stadium out there uh, in Montgomery. Uh, I hear they have, and I got a chance to see you know drive by and see that. I hear they have a really nice basketball facility, um, uh, and they are. I think they would be one. I think from the swag, I'm feeling like right now they probably could. Grambling, Grambling has the name. Um, and you know, they've, they've gotten back on the football, on the football end of it. They have, uh, you know, bright, uh, you know, what, uh, coach Fobbs has done with those guys. That program has been, uh, just incredible and should be sung all day long. Uh, but you know, and basketball was getting better, but, uh, you know, just, I think Alabama state brand wise. And I think in a position to compete would be, would be one in the swag. And then in the MEAC, um, you know, FAMU, FAMU definitely has that reputation and that history, uh, but I think also North Carolina A and T as well. They are the largest HBCU. Um, they're really hot right now with you know having had Cohen for all those years. They you know struggled. They've struggled on basketball, which really they were known as a basketball school for for decades. They dominated the MEAC uh, after the two leagues broke up. Uh, but they've really struggled in the last twenty years, and a lot of that. And it's really uh, interesting. Uh, something else I've thought about is. You don't really see too many HBCUs with good football and basketball programs. Yeah. That's, it's, t- it's tough for them to have. Uh, it's usually either or. You know, football, especially being a more expensive sport, takes up a lot more money. And so that usually, and, but it makes more money, you know, generally. So that usually drains more of the resources. Uh, so they haven't had the basketball success as much. But I think North Carolina A&T and either Alabama State or Jack, or, or, or Southern would be the ones in the in the swag that I think, you know, if they, like you said, if they got their act together, I think could do it. Yeah. Yeah, Dawson, I love uh, Dawson Odoms at, at Southern has been, uh, has stabilized things really nicely. I, I'm, I'm blanking on who he took over for. Um, former player, I think, but he, yeah. like, he was the defensive coordinator of a pretty iffy Southern team. He takes over midseason and just, like, just overnight – uh, they are a rock solid program. Yeah, and um, when you think about FAMU, I think a lot of people don't realize. For the guy who asked the question, you know, back in the late night, you know, the thing about FAMU is, you know, of course, pre-integration, they had all of the great players that were right. at Florida State, FAMU. I mean, Florida State, yeah. Florida, Miami, they were there. But even after integration, you know, they won the D- they won the FCS championship in '78. Uh, and they won those playoff games again in 99, they were still able to get good talent because, okay, so, yeah, we can't get the guys that Miami, Florida, or Florida State get, but, we, I mean, it's Florida. We're still going to get stupid talent. But now you look at it, and you look at all the programs that have come up in their backyards, 
uh, over the last 30 years. You know, I think FIU, I mean, even though they're not great, you know, FIU, UCF, USF, you know, a lot of these program schools who didn't have programs in the 70s and 80s or even some of them as late as the 90s have come up and they have the resources so they surpass them. It's the same uh, thing that's gone on in Virginia with Old Dominion. You know, they're right in Hampton and Norfolk State's backyard and they didn't yeah. have football until too long ago and now they're FBS. You know what I mean? They just literally came up overnight. So, you know, HBCUs are really having to compete with, you know, a school like FAMU now, you know, where they used to be able to say, hey, we may not get the best player on every team anymore, but we can get the second best player. We can get, you know, we can get and, and still be able to deal with. They have to, I mean, even a school like Florida Tech, which is a D2 school, they are really competitive Division two school. They may end up going at FCS at some point. Um, I mean, they're another program that they have to contend with. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's one of those things people don't really think about a lot, but it's, uh, it's you know, that competition factor is definitely there. Right, and even if FIU isn't good, and they haven't been right. for, for most of their existence, they haven't been, they're still occupying 85 scholarships. Exactly, um, exactly. So just pure, pure numbers there, it does become kind of tricky. Um, all right, so a hypothetical. And when I, you know, I, I've done a few, I got to do a few uh, features last year on, on different, uh, like Prairie View and, and FAMU and whatnot. I'll, I got some more planned. But when I talk to an administrator at one of these schools, um, I, I always try to come up with a hypothetical uh, to talk about upside. So tomorrow, uh, and I'll, I'll use Mississippi Valley as mm-hmm. an example here. Um, they obviously had a pretty good coach in the, in the 80s, but tomorrow mm-hmm. Mississippi Valley State hires its best athletic director and football coach ever in, in school history. Um, with, with supreme organization and, and solid fundraising ability and everything else, what can that football program, that athletic program – how high can a program like that rise with with tremendous organization? So, like you know, I the I always refer to the Sagarin ratings uh, because mm-hmm. they do FBS and FCS, mm-hmm. and so you know, like an A and T last year, I think was in the one fifties or something like that. Usually, the 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 top teams from the Miak and Swack will end up somewhere in that like one thirty to one eighty range. Um, if you've got, or, or maybe not even Mississippi Valley State, maybe Southern, maybe like the, the, the most high upside, how high can a program like that rise within the, the football, within the Division One universe? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, we saw this this last year. I mean, Arizona was not a powerhouse by any means, but Grambling yeah. was able, to, I mean, Grambling probably, probably oh. could have beaten them if, if, if Vontae Kincaid stayed healthy. And even without him there, they still were able for that one game. So, um, I don't think I think that, you know, if everything went the perfect storm, I think you could I think you could see them making a run to you can see them winning, uh, you know, making a run at the FCS championship game. I mean, I think that's probably where the ceiling would be at a at a at a at a southern um, a school with a large alumni, a large following, um, you know, a school that, you know, other schools really they're happy to see them on their schedule, even if they're going to, because even if they're going to beat your ass, they're still going to pack your stadium. Um, there, are a couple, <laughs> there, there are a couple of schools like that where it, they're, where even though, you know, you're probably not going to win, you're going to make money for the other school that they wouldn't be making. So that there's a, lot, a couple of those cases and they are certainly one of them. I mean, they've got the colors, they got the brand. I mean, you know, they've got my favorite thing in HB, all of HBCU sports. They have, 
the dancing dolls auxiliary thing. <laughs> God, I love yep. those, those, those young ladies. They're special. I got a chance to meet, uh, you know, see, see them a couple times in person and uh, even more beautiful in person. So um, they have, they have all of the marketing ability, um, but they're also in LSU's backyard. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, they, you know, they, they would always have to, you know, be take seconds, second fiddle to them. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they, there could be, I mean, I think I, if everything went right, they could be competitive again in the FCS, but, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, man. You got to, like you said, you would need the fundraising is key fundraising. You gotta get, yeah. you gotta get the fundraising. They gotta get, you know, facilities too. And just, uh, they have to get rid of that, that, uh, that inferiority complex, you know, for so long. HBCUs were the only places that we could go to school, especially here in the South. And so there was, you know, when you do that, you put those other schools on a pedestal that, you know, they are something because you can't get it. You aspire to it. So they are aspired to and seen as a higher achievement, even if, you know, hey, basketball wise, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina, North Carolina A&T and North Carolina are the same in the same state. They're both division one basketball programs but you don't see them the same um Mm -hmm. and so that is the thing that for hbcus uh is 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 definitely a challenge to overcome uh getting people to see them but i mean you know i talked about it in the draft um you know Tariq cohen went i think 60 picks before some some guys in the acc who played his position so uh you know of course he had now of course he had to be superman to do it i mean (laughs) but you know it's still it's still possible, but getting 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 kids and parents to buy into that uh, when they've you know seen all their life they've seen you know mission on on you know on ESPN and all of that stuff um, in prime time you know it's 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 tough for them. So a couple of years ago at the Bayou Classic after the game uh, on the you know you come down to the field and and whatnot and you're interviewing people are just kind of walking around watching them celebrate. Um, and Southern Man just keeps playing. Like, they just kept playing for, like, half an hour after the game. And it was incredible. And so I, I basically walked over there, and, and I, was, I was filming it because I was going to send something to my uh, whatever. I don't even remember what song they were playing. I was going to send a, a video to my wife. And I realized uh, mm-hmm. that I'm, uh, you know, at that point, I guess I could still have been called a mid-30s male uh, who basically was holding his uh, phone up and, and, and basically filming the dancing dolls for five to ten straight minutes. Uh, because they're right in front of the band. Yeah. That made me feel really cool. That but made me feel like not a creep at all. Uh, the, the, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, I got the audio of the band, but I'm basically filming the dancing dolls. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, but I mean, they, and they are one of the foremost, but from the dancing dolls of Southern to uh, the go, to uh, Golden Delight in North Carolina A&T, to uh, Ooh La La at Howard, to <laughs> Scarlett Lynch at Winston-Salem State. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it really, that's, again, that's what I love about HBCU sports, and that's why I decided, you know, from my first name to change it to HBCU Game Day because there's, it, there's the sports, there is the band, and there's the cheerleaders. I mean, and especially in the CIAA, the cheerleaders are really the biggest rock stars. Um, <laughs> they, all have, they all have, like, names. Like, at Winston-Salem State, they are, they're not the Winston-Salem State cheerleaders. They're the powerhouse of red and white. <laughs> um, there's the Virginia State woo-woos. And uh, at the CIAA tournament, it's a basketball tournament, week-long basketball tournament. 
but the biggest attended thing, and it's in it's in the arena, the same arena, Spectrum Arena, where the Hornets play. You know, and even the Hornets have trouble packing that place out. But on Saturday, they have a event that's called Super Saturday, and it is uh, a cheerleading exhibition. And so, you know, the, the the young ladies work all you know month long or whatever, and come up with this exhibition, and the whole place is packed. Like I said, you know, it's free. But I mean, even still, you know, you might have some trouble getting people to uh, Hornets Bucks game on Wednesday. But the whole entire crowd, still, just like you know, I said with the people waiting for the band underneath the rain when they wouldn't wait for the football. <laughs> you know, it's that same type of thing. So, I mean, I think all of that auxiliary stuff um, is what is what makes the HBCU game day experience what it is. And, and I just feel pleased that, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, what me and my team are able to do and just kind of what started from just one person is really just loomed into this thing that allows me to go across the country and, go to different places and, and get to see all these different experiences. You know, it's just been, it's been great. Yeah. I, I didn't send that video to my wife. Um, I felt, <laughs> I felt the, the message would not have been received as I had originally intended. So I, I did not send that text. Yeah, I'm sure. You'd be one of thousands of brothers every week that gets elbowed for looking <laughs> a little bit too long, you know? Um, so we got a lot, uh, some pretty good reader questions. I'm going to, I'm going to run through a few of them here with our remaining time. Um, so let's see where I have already lost the one. Oh, well, here's one uh, at horns up. Texas says, which band is the best and why is that the human jukebox? My, my, <laughs> it, it, they are, they're just bigger. They're just, there's like a thousand of them. And they, um, at the battle of the bands before the, the night before the game, they started playing purple rain. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. Like they're going to, how are they going to try to hit the high notes on? Oh my God, they hit all the high notes. Like it's, it's just yeah. one of those, like brings tears to your eyes kind of situations. I, it's just, powerful they there there's uh, they're they're enormous but anyway um at m tony says back when it was still segregated was the sec really any better than the SWAC? um i have a slight answer for this because i pulled it for something else that i was uh, that i've been working on and haven't actually posted yet but um the only sec school in the i i, I can't remember if it was the entire 60s or like an eight-year span or whatever only one sec school had more uh, players drafted than Grambling, and that was Ole Miss. Uh, right, and and uh, like that—that that just the the talent that they were cranking out. Um, it, it was pretty absurd. I, re- I went back and I, I was uh, f- I fell onto a post through newspapers.com, which newspapers.com is like the best investment I've ever made, by the way. That's that right, entire right. site and all that uh, archive is amazing. But it was from about, uh, I don't know, 64, 65. I think they were playing Morgan State at like Yankee Stadium or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like some just a, a kind of a random showcase kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like to a, like every article I read about it was basically, holy crap, Grambling is enormous. Uh, like right. they they have the biggest most most athletic team I've ever seen basically. Right. So, yeah, I mean I, they were LSU, they were LSU before LSU right. became what they <laughs> yeah. are now. I mean it's it's I mean it's all over it's all over the imprint of the SEC. Um, you know there it's, it's it's totally it's totally they're just like FAMU you know Florida, fam you know FSU Florida all that stuff. So yeah. Um, I mean, just uh, tremendous talent, and you know, I, you know, Morgan. You talk about Morgan State; they were a team, man. You know, people will talk about the great teams of the '20s and '30s, and I have a book from Sports Illustrated that talks about that stuff. But there's really no mention at all of HBCU, uh, black college sports, and uh, you know, I do a lot of digging on that. And there's just, you know, when people talk about the history of black college sports, which I'm very passionate about, they start to think of it starts with Grambling, 
It starts right. with fam, with Jake Gaither, FAMU, but no, it goes back even further than that because you got to think they weren't even letting black players into the league from, you know, the 20 to, to the 40s. So there's a whole generation of excellent black college football legends, uh, guys who are comparable and compared to Red Grange, a guy named Jazz Bird who played at Lincoln in Pennsylvania was pretty much seen as the equal in the black press uh, to Red Grange, but they never got their just due uh, and so, yeah, it's. It, I, I think it's sad and it's tough. Uh, it'll take a lot of digging and a lot of money with it, it, to ever really understand how great a lot of those HBCU football teams were and players were too. Yeah, I mean, all I have, like, I, I, I mean, I live for that stuff with all the advanced stats and everything. I love being able to to at least roughly compare like one group to another uh, in in football. But it's so you need some level of connectivity. Like I, I know in, in the seventies, uh, you know, Grambling was playing. I mean, they, they were getting some, uh, what we now call FBS team scheduled. They played Oregon state, they beat Oregon state. Mm-hmm. They played temple a couple of times. They played Hawaii a couple of times. They, I'm trying, I think they swept Hawaii. I think they split with temple. They played one, of, they played temple in Japan. One of those years. I remember right. Like, I think it was Doug Williams telling me about that, mm-hmm. but, um, like they, they, the the tiny sample we have of where they were actually playing these teams during their heyday, mm-hmm. they fared very well, and and that was the seventies. That wasn't even the sixties. So right. I, I do wish that we just had a couple data points, some random like Grambling versus Kentucky game that I could refer to right. as proof. But all we've got is the draft, which I mean, and we don't even have the draft from before about the the, the mid fifties. But yeah, they, they all Grambling led the way, obviously, but. So many programs, the Prairie Views, and the, I think it was uh, Texas Southern and Jackson State, Tuskegee. they all had, they were all right there. Tuskegee um, is actually the all-time winningest HBCU uh, in the SIAC. They do very well at Division Two now. Uh, they've won playoff games, I think, the last two or three years, but they're actually the all-time mm-hmm. leader. Um, a lot of the private schools uh, early on were very, you know, they've kind of fallen back now, but... A lot of the private schools were very great, too. But Morgan State uh, uh, won, I think. they Listen, they left the CIAA in 1971, and that is, you know, 40-something years later. They still hold the CIAA record for championships, conference championships <laughs> with 19. So, I mean, that tells you how great their teams were uh, back in the – really from the, from the 30s all the way. I mean, they won – I think they went 47, 52 games in a row without losing. So, I mean, those, you know, it's just one of those stats where you're not, you're not going to hear that stat a lot when you talk about the Tennessee teams from back in the day. But, uh, I mean, they were definitely comparable. Yeah, and I, I do, like, I do wonder. I also have a what-if brain where I, I start to think about, you know, they were part of that when, when, when Division One was trying to figure out what Division One was going to be. And then they, were, they split mm-hmm. off into FBS and FCS. There was that one year, like 77, where technically mm-hmm. – uh, a lot of these schools, Tennessee State, Grambling, uh, I think FAMU and a couple others were technically Division One status. But then, like in '78, it became they became FCS, and you know FAMU wins wins the FCS one of those either that first or second year. But um, I do wonder if there was if there had been some sort of concerted effort to. So basically, college football changed in about what eighty three, eighty four. Went with the um, the Supreme Court case, uh, border regions versus or NCAA versus border border regions of Oklahoma, where suddenly you could get your own TV deals uh, with a conference or a group of teams or whatever, and and that's where it became a televised sport, and I like mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of programs started. You know, Miami it was it exploded right around that specific time, and I do wonder. Right. 
if a certain group had had stuck it in that top level, the, the Gramblings and Tennessee States and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, it, would there have been enough revenue early on? Would there have been enough interest and funding and fundraising and everything else to where if they had kind of carved out a niche in FBS at that specific time, whether it would have stuck to a certain degree? I, I guess, I mean, maybe not. Maybe this this was just all fate that was going to, unfold no matter what but that is a major what if to me is that you know if they that would that specific period of time something interesting might have happened yeah it's uh you know the the hbcus i mean you know sports was just something that just happened you know what i mean (laughs) i mean these were these were schools that you know just that really they could not go anywhere else and so they wanted to give them something athletically to do but they weren't putting a lot of money into it um you know they weren't really putting a lot of money into it so i mean really until you know you know about that era where they're starting to be like okay yeah we need money but by then they were so you know they they still had to you know get the school you know they had to make sure I mean a lot of the schools themselves not me forget athletic departments were you know and you know were really just trying to stay above water because this is after um you know after Jim Crow and you know they're trying to decide do we really need these schools anymore since everyone can go to these other schools you know what I mean? They, they just the schools just really weren't on enough solid footing themselves, and they were trying to find their footing. So athletically, they wouldn't have you know having people who had the foresight, it would have been tough. And having enough people, I mean, because for so many th- years, I don't know if he was the athletic director, but Eddie Robinson kind of ran Grambling, and I mean, yeah. the, the coaches. You know, you talk about you know Coach Cal now, and, you know, and, and different things like that. I mean, but these guys, they really ran the athletic programs and in some of <laughs> in the smaller schools some of the ad's and basketball coaches or football coaches are you know are, are kind of our ad's or assistants so it's uh the infrastructure uh really was never set up initially by the time they set up the infrastructure that would allow it to do so they were so far behind and i think that's right. that's that's uh you know hbcus it's always basically you know we have to adjust to whatever is thrown at us and which, you know, is, can really be something that makes you resilient, but it can also be something that makes you stagnant in certain cases, you know? So, yeah, I, um, it is uh, with, with HBCUs in general, it's one of those, I think I write this in every piece I, I write about HBCUs and I think Elena takes it out every time, but it's my podcast. I can say whatever I want. Um, <laughs> so it, it becomes this thing where like in, in this country, um, we, we we go out of our way to never, ever, ever, ever admit, yeah, we kind of screwed this group of people up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that, This country has done so repeatedly, and we, we mm-hmm. kind of go out of our way not to admit it, but the creation of HBCUs was mm-hmm. a massive acknowledgement of, hey, we're, we're at least pretending that this is a, like a separate but equal thing, uh, mm-hmm. but clearly, like, we can't even pretend. So we, we have screwed this up and we need to do something about it. And so land grant universities, this was a, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the late 1800s even. And, and the fact that this country created HBCUs at all, A, still kind of shocks me based on the rest of, our, of this country's history, but just it, it's, it's, it's kind of a heartening thing. And then at the same time, mm-hmm. we've basically made HB, HBCUs defend their existence every single day since. I mean, um, to, to this very day, I mean, you know. Yeah, you talk, yeah like you know. The, the Trump quotes from last week. Um, right. I, 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 I sent out an agenda before this uh, to Stephen here uh, before we started and just had like a Trump and a frowny face as one of the items. Um, 
he, he, what is it? And I pulled up an article. In a signing statement on the $1.1 trillion omnibus government spending bill, Trump singled out uh, the historically black college and university capital financing program as an example of provisions in the funding bill that allocate benefits on the basis of race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, our president doesn't understand that a white person could attend an HBCU if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> and that, right. in, in, in 2017, and, and much less like 1906, whatever, but this is right. 2017 and this is, this is where we are. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Autumn uh, Arnett. She does a uh, great work for the education Dive. She said, I really don't want to be in a professional world where we're discussing the constitutionality of HBCUs, but not why they're needed. <laughs> And uh, I mean, yeah. And, you know, you talk about not having the infrastructure and all of that stuff. Um, I mean, you know, you think of I mean, you know, in North Carolina, I just use that as an example. That's where I'm from. You know, we have you know, a state school. North Carolina A&T is a state school, as is North as is North Carolina State. And basically, uh, HBCUs were really set up as black institutions to mirror as the state ones, at least, were set up to mirror uh, right. what the, the what the predominant institutions were. So NCANT in North Carolina, you know, is agricultural, and so is North Carolina State. It's agricultural, mm-hmm. but of course, ANT never got the funding that North Carolina State has, um, which is so ironic. Where you have them two, do you have those two? You know, the the you know North Carolina State taking you know potentially getting a guy who was the best player from the worst team in college basketball, but <laughs> hey, we need you to come over here. So uh, you know, there's that there's that funding for the schools that was never there. So that's part of the reason why you don't really have, you know, you never really had HBCUs initially funded to, to do. They weren't really supposed to compete in anything mm. for with, uh, with, uh, with the predominantly white institutions, let alone sports. Uh, so, you know, just by design, just because, you know, racism worked against them, but it also worked in their favor at that point. Now you come to 20, you know, 17, where, you know, in North Carolina, now we have, again, five state HBCUs. One of them is Elizabeth City State, which is uh, in danger of being shut down. I mean, every year there's something. Um, and they have to compete for students with North Carolina, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, with, you know, predominantly white institution um, that, you know, you know, at its founding would not have admitted black students well now they have to compete for those students and they don't they have been underfunded they haven't been funded nearly at the same rate and so now it's like well you know we have this shiny new school over here and then we have this other school that we really kind of let go off in the corner in nowhere uh and really have left to its own devices and really haven't prepared it which one do you want to go to if you're a student who has a choice, a lot of times, you know, this other school has the money to lure you there. Just like with the athletes, same thing with students. They have the scholarship money to where, you know, they can take you in and it'll be cheaper versus a lot of the HBCUs don't really have the same type of scholarship money to offer you. So, I mean, you really, you know, it's, it, you, it, it's, it's tough now. I mean, just like in athletics, academically, you're fighting the same fight where you're trying to fight with these schools who... You basically these are your parent. You guys have the same parents, but you know, hey, maybe you guys got a different mom and this other parent. <laughs> this other kid got got all the got all the food and got all the the, the nutrients, yeah. and now you guys are having to duke it out. You know, so it's <laughs> it's it's. I mean, the athletics and the, and the academics, it all goes uh, really kind of hand in hand. Um, but still, in spite of that, you know, we survive and we have you know great graduates and and produce great folks. And really, it's been a chance where they've taken 
taking a chance on a lot of people that, you know, like a guy like me, I mean, I really, uh, I probably grade wise, I wasn't, you know, I probably maybe would have belonged in junior college, but you know, I cared enough to, to get my act together enough to, to get those people at went to Salem State to give me a chance. And I got exposed and got a chance to really take it and, and run with it. And, and now, you know, the, doing the things that I'm doing, I would never be able to do it without it. So I'm, you know, quintessential of that story. So uh, it's a struggle, but it's a beautiful struggle in the words of the Hassan Coates. So, yeah, I when when I did the North Carolina thing last year, went to Greensboro first and did the mm-hmm. museum and all that. And um Went to the mm-hmm. antique bookstore. It was awesome because they, um, so like basically every every shirt in the A&T bookstore says NCANTSU. Like mm-hmm. we're a state university and don't you forget it. Basically was right. the uh, was the was the message I got from that. And and um, I mean, I, yeah, no, I. I, I like to think that, uh, you know, with l- my tiny little pulpit here and with everything else like that, we can somehow like figure out how to push the conversation forward. And then the president says that and, and it's it's very easy to feel hopeless. Um, yeah, well, he, he wanted to speak. So 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 that the conversation doesn't finish on that damn note. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to do one more reader question here. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, I almost went with Jess, with at Jesse Pound, whose entire question was fix Jackson State, please. But instead, I think uh, in, in the name of, of uplifting, we're going to go with at year two, who says, I'd love to hear a summary of Grambling's rebirth. I, I remember some really dire stories a couple few years ago, and then they went 12 and one last year. Yeah, I I have tried to write about this and I don't really it, it, it you know, it was basically and then they hired Broderick Fobbs and everything was awesome again. And uh, like where how. What has gone into their their turnaround beyond just hiring an awesome coach? Because, I mean, the they're, they're still a tiny school in northern Louisiana, and as far as I know, the facilities haven't been at least massively upgraded. But suddenly, they're awesome again. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you have to go, you have to go back to to so you know twenty thirteen. Uh, that was the year that they fired Doug Williams, and I mean, it's it's crazy. That's just like. Uh, you know that's just like uh, you know, you that's just like USC fire, firing one of their one of their uh, you know top players of all time. You know that they fired Doug Williams, which was unthinkable. I just remember seeing that, and and you know game day was pretty new a year, a year and and I just like wow they really fired him. So <laughs> Williams because uh, they had just had some bad seasons and just uh, you know well, the money money really was cut um, drastically. Uh, his last couple of years, but he did. Uh, Chad Williams, who was actually just drafted uh, into the NFL, was a was a find uh, of Doug Williams. He was like one of the last gifts from Doug Williams uh, as football coach. <laughs> so, uh, which is you know, so so he, there was talent there, but there just was disarray. Um, you know, there are some structural things that going on. You know, in the life of a university, you know, you have people come in and out. And sometimes, you know, people don't always, you know, at different levels and different levels of power, you give levels of power to people who don't really have an affinity for the school. A lot of people are looking for what they can get for themselves. Um, and so they let things, they, they neglect things and let things kind of go. So you bring in Fobbs, who is a Grambling, gradu- a Grambling alum. He is, you know, a disciple of, uh, he is a disciple of Robinson, Eddie Robinson. Uh, and you know, he just little by little, you know, people always talk about that change in culture, 
Um, you know, but that that really is what happened there at Grambling. You know, it took the first year, they went seven and five, and that's where you saw them at the Bayou Classic. Uh, the next year, uh, they took the step up past that. They uh, they won the Bayou Classic. They went to the SWAC Championship game and got their hearts uh, beat. They got their hearts uh, hurt by uh, Auckland State, who just really ran them off the field. So you come enter into last year where you've got a guy like Chad Williams, who was already there. You've got uh, a guy like Martez Carter, uh, who uh, I believe Broderick Fobbs found him playing basketball, NAIA basketball. <laughs> Um, and he brought him in there and, 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 and as a spark plug. And then you get Devontae Kincaid, a guy who was, I think, is a poster child for HBCU that's saying, you know what, hey, you know, you can be a top player in, in foot in, and in, you know, a highly regarded player and you come play for us and you do what you're supposed to do. We can put you in situations where you can succeed. He went to Ole Miss Mm-hmm. And he, you know, had injuries and, you know, had, you know, they, they, they chose Chad Kelly over him. And so, you know, he wanted to be closer to his family and get back to, uh, he wanted to get closer to his family uh, in Dallas. I think his mom had some, some ailments. Uh, and so Fobbs gave him a chance and he comes and he is uh, the SWAC offensive player of the year. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, he almost leads him to a win at Arizona, which is unfathomable. Um, and you know, he was swag player of the year. So he go, so, I mean, you think about it, he at an, he at an HBCU at a small school in Northern Louisiana, uh, in the backwoods and in successive weeks played at the Bayou classic in front of 67,000 people. He played in, uh, and you know, in the, in the, in the Ben's dome there, he played it at the, uh, in Houston, uh, at Reliance Stadium, oh, yeah. the SWAC championship led those guys to a comeback victory. Uh, where everybody was counting for dead, and I had handed out the panic button uh, via uh, Twitter, <laughs> uh, like I like to do sometimes, get folks riled up, and they came back and won that game. Uh, and then he went to the Celebration Bowl, and, you know, those guys, you know, they didn't have the offensive showing that they wanted. He was actually hurt at the end of the year, but he played in the Celebration Bowl at ESPN. So I think he is the poster child for HBCU saying, you know what, you can be a super talented player, you could come here, and he really, you know, we did a piece on that. He really was adamant, and he was really a spokesperson, and say, and he was saying that. He told me that on the field. He was like, if you want to grow, I asked him, was this what you envisioned when you got here? He's like, if you want to grow as a man, as a person, and as a football player, come to Grambling. You know, it's the, it's the way. You know what I mean? So when you get a kid like that, because, you know, you know, gray beards can talk about it all the time. Even me, I'm 31. <laughs> I can talk about, yeah, HBCUs used to be this and HBCUs used to be that. And you should come to HBCUs because this, that, and the third. But when you see a guy who was talented, who was talented and who thrives, uh, who is thriving and doing it, and he's saying this is what we want to do, then it's tough. It's that's a, another sell. So, um, just the the right coach at the right time, getting the right players and getting everybody to buy in. And sometimes, you know, you have to hit rock bottom uh, for people to look, take a look in the mirror, and uh, and say, you know what, we we fallen way off from where we were. How do we get back to that? So I think uh, they've been able to get back to that. And uh, you know, now the challenge for them is to. Uh, stay on top. They're back with that Grambling swagger. They're back uh, uh, trolling people. Trolling. Uh, there's a there's a Grambling fan account which has like fifty two thousand fans on Facebook, and uh, and they have a Twitter account. They they've kind of been going pretty hard at at, at, at you know just at folks in general. But uh, they're back to having that swagger. So 
Uh, again, them with FAMU, with uh, Tennessee State, Jackson State, uh, you know, and uh, North Carolina, you know, North Carolina A&T and South Carolina State, those schools like that. When they, those schools do well, black college football uh, does well on the Division One level. So, you know, we'll see if they can get back to that. Yeah, I was going to be pissed at Grambling if they blew that uh, SWAC title game. I'd been, you know, just been in North Carolina. I was really looking forward to what I thought was going to be an awesome Central Grambling game. And then Grambling right. lays a total egg in the first half against a much less impressive right. Alcorn team. Uh, right. But, yeah, they rallied. I thought this was going to be perfect, actually, because I thought you were going to have a really good celebration bowl and then a third team in A&T who could actually still do a little damage in the FCS playoffs. But once their quarterback was hurt, it was over. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, the, the MEAC didn't win any games against FCS competition. Uh, I don't think, uh, I, I think that, yeah, they went winless against FCS competition, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, they still have some strides to go there. Ante did lose their quarterback, uh, but I think Richmond was playing without their quarterback, too. Um, oh. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I mean, but hey, to, to their credit, they had a great season, beat an FBS team, and they did something I didn't yep. think they were going to be able to do, which was make the playoffs, because I had written uh, after the first Celebration Bowl, well, before the first Celebration Bowl, I, after, you know, some teams thought they might get an at-large bid, even though the Mediac had knocked it out. Uh, yeah, and Bethune-Cookman, I think they were 8-3 and three or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, they, and they actually, you know, they had a three-way tie, you know. That's the other thing about the MEAC. You know, you have three and five-way yeah. ties, which always makes it interesting. But, uh, you know, they, they thought that they were going to be able to get into the playoffs, and they weren't. And I said, well, the MEAC shouldn't hold its breath for a playoff spot, and then the next year they get one. Now, they lost yeah. last year, so I don't know if they'll be getting another one next year, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it was a surprise. And, uh, I mean, it was probably the best-case scenario for them as far as, hey, you know what, we got a playoff team and we got in the celebration bowl, so. Williams is still pissed, by the way. I talked to him last year for a Q&A thing, uh, Doug Williams. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you could tell. Like, I asked him, not just straight up for his side of the story or anything like that, but by the time he was done talking about those couple years there, like 2012-13, like decibel level had gone up about 20. Uh, the, the, the octave had gone up by about, by about a full octave. Like he, he's still pretty mad. And then I think, so it, when, when we were talking, he was talking about the transfers and, and the mm-hmm. fact that Fubs was taking in transfers. And he was mm-hmm. kind of hemming and hawing a little bit. Like, that's not really, I don't think you can build a good culture if you're not bringing in the five-year guys. Kind of right. think it was just basically, uh, I don't want the new guy to do something better. Kind of is the, a little bit it, of the, the vibe I got there. But regardless, yeah. He's been he's, a favorite. Uh, he's been the favorite son, you know what I mean? And yeah. there's there's a lot of there's a long history and I'm sure I mean just like, you know, college football, uh, black college football, the stars really uh, you know, you know, it might have been an NFL guy or a really great college uh, player and he comes back home and maybe he has some success, but usually it ends up bitterly. I know yeah. <laughs> Uh, at my alma mater and uh, the, the couple of times, a, a lot of other schools too, where, you know, it just doesn't, I mean, the first, he had a, his first run was great with Grambling, you know, so it's, uh, it, it was tough to see that go. And I think that's probably a bitter pill for him to swallow seeing after, you know, after Doug Williams, he probably is the second guy. I mean, after Eddie Robinson, he's probably the second yeah. guy in Grambling's Mount Rushmore. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Well, I appreciate you coming on. This was, um, I've been wanting to have you on for like a year, but we're terrible at, at getting guests because we don't plan. And, and that's a little bit of an issue. But Godfrey being out actually forced me to plan. I was able to set it up, and I'm really happy you came on. Um, you can father, fa- father, you can follow <laughs> Stephen J. Gaither at, at Stephen J. Gaither uh, and HBCU Game Day at HBCU Game Day. So um, you did a much better job with your Twitter, hand, Twitter handles than I did. 
having to pronounce the underscore just screws everything up. But uh, make sure to give him a follow. Uh, Steven, I appreciate it. I appreciate you so much for having me, Bill. I appreciate you for taking an interest in uh, HBCU football, um, you know, and not just like a, as a novelty, but actually appreciating it and trying to understand the nuances. Uh, that That's something I definitely appreciate. Yeah, there's a... Um there's a nerding out factor once you start going down this historical road. There's so much, so many stories to tell, and I was happy. I'm happy that SB Nation allows me to to try to look into some of them and tell some of them. So anyway, uh, definitely follow HBCU Game Day. You will be a much, you will have much more fun this fall if you do. Uh, and we will see you next week uh, when I have another guest host that I'm not going to reveal just yet. So uh, dun, dun, dun. take care, guys. <laughs>